to another edition of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week, we're going to be looking at the case of an NHS trust and why. And the citation for this case is 2018 UKSC 46. Now, it's very unusual to come across a medical law case, especially one that concerns end-of-life care, where all of the parties and the courts agree. Far too often, these sensitive issues bring strong emotions to the fore, and cases in the courts can turn into nasty affairs that divide families. This case is different, and although it is a long way from what could be described as a happy ending, it is at least satisfying and may offer some solace to other families in a similar position. The person at the centre of this case is Mr Y, which is obviously a pseudonym, and Mr Y had been living a healthy and active lifestyle. He was in his 50s, but then a surprising heart attack occurred in the summer of 2017. An effect of this was a lack of oxygen going to the brain, and unfortunately he failed to ever regain consciousness. There was very little that doctors could do, and so-called clinically assisted nutrition and hydration was needed to simply keep him alive. Analysing the situation, the treating physician noted that even if Mr Y were to regain consciousness, he would be severely disabled and would be almost entirely dependent on his family and medical staff to look after him. An expert in this area went somewhat further and stated that Mr Y was in a persistent vegetative state, with no real prospect of his condition improving. Taking all of this into account, as well as what they believed would be his wishes, Mr Y's wife and children agreed that it was in his best interests for hydration and nutrition to be withdrawn, and for Mr Y to be allowed to die in peace. At this stage, it is usual to get a court order that will confirm this course of action, but the case that we are looking at today questions whether that is necessary in all situations, and uses Mr Y as an example where this legal procedure may not be required. Very sadly, Mr Y has now indeed passed away, but the question at the heart of this case was felt to be so important that nonetheless an appeal should proceed to the Supreme Court, and that is where we pick things up. In order to provide an answer to this question, the justices have three sources of law that they can look to. Common law, statute law, and human rights law derived from the European Convention on Human Rights. The foundational case under common law is Airedale NHS Trust and Bland from 1993 that arose out of the Hillsborough disaster and shares a number of similarities with the case before us today. However, the House of Lords did not at that time set any sort of legal precedent about whether a court order must be obtained in those circumstances. Instead, they noted that it would be a matter of good practice to do so. This position remained the same right through to 2007, when the central statute governing these matters, the Mental Capacity Act 2005, came into force. Nevertheless, the Act was also fairly silent on the issue of mandatory court orders, and did not go so far as to lay out particular situations when such an order would be required. The code of practice that is associated with the Act does attempt to deal with such applications after a fashion, but unfortunately contradicts itself on whether such applications are mandatory. This then brings us on to human rights law, but yet again this is not prescriptive enough to give a direct answer. Instead, cases such as Lambert and France from 2015 held that member states should simply have a robust legal framework within which decisions can be made. 
The UK does more than enough to satisfy this requirement through not only the Mental Capacity Act 2005 and its associated code of practice, but also guidance to doctors that is provided by the General Medical Council. Furthermore, it is clear that not only is medical evidence taken into account in these situations, but also the wishes and interests of the patient and those close to them. Where there is some sort of dispute, the courts offer a further layer of legal protection that supports the wider framework. That decision in Lambert is somewhat typical of the European Court of Human Rights, in that there is a clear reluctance to take any distinct moral standpoint, but it does also mean that there is no specific requirement for mandatory court applications in certain situations. Therefore, none of the three sources of law that we mentioned earlier actually offer the justices deciding this case any precedent, or really even any guidance, with how to proceed, and so we are on new ground. As a starting point, we can say that one of the fundamental misunderstandings in this area is that this is all about the withdrawal of treatment from a patient, but in fact it is exactly the opposite way around. In these circumstances, the provision of clinically assisted nutrition and hydration is indeed a form of treatment, but the question is whether that treatment should be continued rather than whether it should be withdrawn. At first glance this might seem like a minor distinction, but it is of huge importance in the context of Section 5 of the Mental Capacity Act 2005. Under Section 5 a doctor is protected from liability if they have a reasonable belief that the treatment that they give is in the best interests of the patient. Putting this all together, if nutrition and hydration are no different from any other form of treatment that seeks to sustain life, and we combine that fact with a medical practitioner who is acting in the best interests of the patient, then there would be no need for involvement from the court. Of course, a relevant factor in the case of Mr. White was that all of the parties were in agreement as regards the best course of action. And so the Supreme Court made it clear that where there is some disagreement either amongst the patient's family, the medical profession, or some mix of the two, then a court application remains the best way forward. Overall, to whatever extent it is possible to get such delicate moral questions correct, I think that the Supreme Court came out with the right answer here, or at the very least, the most sensible answer. Of course, there will always be moral absolutists who will balk at the deliberate ending of life, and despite the attempt to move the definition by the court, that is what we are ultimately dealing with here. There will be others who won't like the idea that the patient is not able to have their say directly over such an existential issue, and that in such cases the default should always favour life over death, but that is simply not practical, and absent the opportunity to ask directly, the next best thing is to ask close family members, and also to consider the best interests of the patient. In a legal sense, this is not any huge landmark step in the law associated with the end of life, and instead removes a formality, as in such situations where all sides agree on the next best steps, it is impossible to imagine that the courts would step in and insist on a different course of action. There may be some worries that this will open the floodgates and that the courts will not continue to have any meaningful role arbitrating these decisions, but that is simply not the case, as Lady Black noted that the courts will always present an available avenue for those who are in disagreement with others, 
who have a vested interest in the welfare of the patient. In the end, this decision may help to sooner relieve the enormous amount of pain and suffering that a number of patients are going through, and that can only be a good thing. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this episode of the UK Law Weekly podcast, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. Do remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes as well. Um, Recently, I dropped an episode about the recent Brexit decision that covered devolution in relation to Scotland. So if you haven't already checked out that bonus episode, then do so and subscribe to the feed while you're there. All right, I'll be back with another episode next week. So for now, bye.